Dizzy and Wiley who, you know, have been so seminal in pioneering the grime scene and they were two names that were really early on in kicking down a lot of doors and pushing boundaries and those two met <laughs> in my bedroom, so that's crazy. Like literally, no matter what UK music you do, there's always going to be some influence or reference to grime in there, like no matter how you want to kind of flip it, it's always going to be that because I think grime is more than just like the genre, it's, it's very much like a culture, it's very much the sound of of people, of like the UK people are We did think we was onto something big, but definitely we didn't know we were onto this big. It's no secret that British artists are bigger than ever in music. And one genre that has had a massive impact is grime. Artists like Wiley, Skepta and Kano paved the way for people like Stormzy, Little Sims and Dave to become huge names. Not just here, but across the world. Grime is so unique to the UK, so seeing homegrown artists have a huge amount of success, it opened the doors to the possibilities for others, even in different genres. Grime music came from friends coming together in their bedrooms to rap over beats. And at the time, the dream was to be played on pirate radio stations. Now you can see grime artists on major festival lineups, selling out shows and inspiring new scenes like UK rap and drill. But back to where grime started. It was the early 2000s and a group of teenagers in East London were just getting together and having fun making music. They didn't really realise it at the time, but it was about to create a brand new genre. Now we can see how it came about in a new show on BBC Three. Grime Kids follows a group of young guys during their first summer out of school. Thinking that they could actually make it big, they decided to form their own crew. So this is the song we've raised. Me and the boys are starting a crew. You starting a crew. You couldn't catch a rhythm if it crawled past you. So we got a DJ, the hype man, manager, the reluctant moody one. I'm an MC too. Me and something then. Grime Kids is inspired by a book by DJ Target. He was a member of the Grime Collective Roll Deep. And now he's a presenter on BBC Radio 1 Extra. In the early 2000s, Wiley, aka the godfather of grime, and Dizzy Rascal first met each other in DJ Target's bedroom. They formed a genre over 20 years ago, and it's still being talked about today. So, why has grime had such a massive impact? And what is its cultural significance still now? I'm going to ask DJ Target, who was there from day one. By the time we started to get a real name, it was a brand new genre of music. But the thing about it was it gave UK rap music an identity. We were talking about East London and stuff that we knew about and it sounded British and I think that's what was the kind of turning point. We'll hear that story later on. But first, let's explore what the genre actually is and what part it plays in our culture. I'm Mary Manderfield and this is Noted. I grew up listening to this music, but I didn't exactly have my journalistic hat on then. So I want to chat to someone who has been there for all the big moments in the music industry for over 20 years. He reports on everything from Glasto to the Grammys, the hottest new artists, the dramas and everything in between. Mark Savage is a music correspondent at BBC News and he joins us on the podcast. Mark, welcome to Noted. Thank you, Mary. Nice to be here. 
So Mark, how would you describe the genre of grime? Well, it goes back a long way, almost to the kind of Jamaican sound systems of the 1960s and that emceeing and toasting that comes over to the UK, becomes part of sound system culture here. Then it transforms into jungle, which transforms into drum and bass, which transforms into garage. And eventually that leads the way to grime. And grime is much more bass driven, much more sparse than a lot of those genres. Um, It gave the voice to a lot of people who were growing up in working class London in council estates, particularly in East London in Bow and Tower Hamlets, which is where Dizzy and Wiley and Skepta came from. And it was probably the first like truly massive British made musical genre since punk in the 1970s. Leading up to that, even when we're looking at things like rap and hip hop, we're always looking to the US as the kind of blueprint. And a lot of UK artists were kind of copying what Americans were doing, but grime was intrinsically and undeniably British. Yeah, I mean, even a lot of the British rap of the 80s and 90s, people were rapping in American accents and using American vernacular and, you know, copying the style and the flow and the cadence of those songs. And what you really get with grime and garage to an extent before that was people rapping in their London accents, talking about things that were happening in real life. And I think what grime did that was separate to Garage, the thing that really set it apart was Garage had a lot of, you know, female hooks over the top. It was very aspirational. It was talking about that kind of champagne lifestyle. And Grime was very much almost reportage. This is what's happening in my tower block. Here's what's happening on my street. Here are the people I know. And it felt very, very local. Um, And I think technology is a huge part of that story because you know, in the 1990s, if you wanted your music heard outside of pirate radio, you had to be played by one of the BBC or commercial networks. You had to have a record deal, someone promoting your music. But grime arrives around the same time as mobile phones allow you to share MP3s over Bluetooth. People were burning their own CDs and passing them around. And then in the second wave of grime, about 10 years after that, it coincides with the rise of YouTube and people are connecting with their audiences in that way, cutting out all of those middlemen. 100%. So we're talking about the kind of late 90s, early noughties. And I can imagine it was quite an exciting time anyway, because of the growth of technology. But what was the realities of that? If you look at the charts at that time, you know, grime is coming up and bubbling up through London, and it's causing a big noise here. And it's getting into, you know, magazines like ID and Face. But we're also right in the middle of that era of the first pop idol and bands like Girls Aloud and Cheeky Girls are in the charts. There's a lot of US R&B. Blue Cantrell was number one with Sean Paul the week that Dizzy Rascal had Fix Up Look Sharp enter the charts. And so there's that real juxtaposition of that very polished music industry focused kind of almost clean sound of those bands, of that R&B and that pop music, and Grime coming in and just literally punching a hole through the wall and saying, this is where music is going to go in the next 10 years. And it was really exciting. And how did the sound of the music reflect what was going on in the UK and in places like East London at that time? I guess to a certain extent, I'm outside of that. I didn't live in that area of London. I didn't have those experiences. And so to me, it felt like a window into a side of London and the side of the UK that we don't normally get to hear about that isn't covered in the mainstream media. And when 
these bands started getting press on the BBC and in The Guardian and all sorts of other places, it allowed those stories to come to light in a way that they wouldn't have done before. It was almost like these artists had grabbed a loud hailer and were able to tell their stories for the first time. And that was incredibly powerful. I found that really interesting speaking to Mark. And I think with genres like this, I can be a massive fan and I can feel like I know the songs and I know the artists, but there's loads that I didn't know about where grime actually fits alongside other genres and the bigger picture of our culture as well. But next, we're going to talk to someone who not only witnessed the birth of a new genre, but he actually helped create it. DJ Target joins me next on Noted after this. DJ Target, you are a pioneer. You were part of the Grime Collective Roll Deep, and now you're a presenter on BBC Radio 1 Extra. It was a couple of years ago you decided to look back and write a book, Grime Kids, all about your life in music. And now it is a BBC Three drama. I've been watching it and loving it, and I can't wait to chat to you about the show. For those who haven't seen it, can you tell us what Grime Kids is about? So for people who don't know the backstory, the book um, Grime Kids, I wrote to kind of document not just my own journey, but because I was part of Roll Deep and I was a part of the early foundations of grime music, I wanted to document that that whole journey and kind of show people the kind of lineage from going back from jungle to garage to grime. And yeah, Grime Kids, a TV series, tells the story of five fictional boys. They've just left school, they're 16. They live in Bowen, East London, which is where I grew up, which is where a lot of the early grime stuff happened. And yeah, they're navigating their first summer out of school. It's a coming-of-age drama. It celebrates friendship. It celebrates black youth. It celebrates pirate radio. It celebrates the revolution that was happening musically at that time. And um, they just want to be a part of it. And they overlay, even though they're fictional characters, they overlay real-life characters, real-life locations and places. So legendary stations like Rinse FM are in the series. A Young Me is in the series. You see me a couple of times. Wiley, a bunch of other artists. So, um, yeah, we wanted to pay homage to the, the real-life history, but at the same time be able to tell a story that was its own bespoke thing. And, and the five characters are very different. They all go on their, their own different journeys. They've all got varying um, home lives and family struggles. Yeah, it's just a, a real fun, joyful story. Speaking of you being in it and artists like Wiley and Dizzy Rascal, can you tell us about that kind of famous moment of these artists meeting and you being a big part of that? Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, one of the stories that came out of the book, Grime Kids, um, and people who all know the history might know about it, but Dizzy and Wiley, who, you know, have been so seminal in pioneering the grime scene and they were two names that were really early on and kicking down a lot of doors and pushing boundaries and making music that was beyond what anybody had ever heard before um, and those two met in my bedroom basically Dizzy used to come and buy records off of me Wiley was a friend of mine as well and eventually after me and Dizzy you know became more friendly he would tell me that he made music and he left a CD to listen to and at the time I wasn't actually interested in listening to the music. I was just like, have you got like another 20 quid to buy some records off me? It was one of those situations. And I left the CD there and it was Wiley one day who came and was like, oh, what's this CD? And I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's that kid Dylan's and whatever. That's Dizzy's real name for those who don't know. And Wiley took the CD, came back to me like the next day and was like, 
where's that kid? Like, where is he? Like, I'll, like I need to speak to him. And he played me the CD, and it was like some productions and some sounds that we were like, whoa, like we didn't, we had no idea that because he, he was in school at the time. Yeah. So yeah, blew Wiley away. He wanted to just connect with him, and those two just sparked a relationship that would go on to be like legendary. And obviously, they they fell out and hadn't spoken for twenty years, and only like this year, a few months ago, they finally spoken. And okay. looks like the beef or whatever has been squashed now, which is amazing to see. But yeah, those two met in my bedroom, so that's crazy. At the time, did you feel like you guys were onto something big? Like what you were doing with your mates and in different collectives? Were you like, yeah, this is actually decent? At the time, like, big to us was being heard on the estate and girls knowing who we were and being able to go to Roman Road and people spotting us and telling us they listened to us on via radio. So to us, that is what big was. So yeah. we did think it was onto something big, but in terms of... When you have context now, 20 years later, and you're like, this big? <laughs> like, definitely, we didn't know we were onto this big. Is it because the bar for UK music was set at a certain level? So that was kind of the biggest you could dream anyway. And did it take a certain artist to kind of break beyond, like, the UK to make it kind of seem possible? There was no blueprint. There was no one who had gone through our route from the UK who had done what we do and had made it into kind of any mainstream success. Bearing in mind as well that by the time we started to get a real name, it was a brand new genre of music that was kind of a mixture of a bunch of things from sound system culture to a bit of influence from jungle to garage. And then we was here making this grime music that was like our UK rap. But the thing about it was it gave UK rap music an identity. Mm. Like it didn't sound US. We were talking about East London and... yeah stuff that we knew about and it sounded British and I think that's what was the kind of turning point. Going back to pirate radio, obviously we both work in radio now but in a very different kind of space like mainstream. Pirate radio plays a big part in the start of Grime and also you showed it in the show them even like putting the antennas together and getting signal to to broadcast on pirate radio can you just share a little bit of like what pirate radio actually was and why it was a big deal to be played on that i think if there was no pirate radio we wouldn't be here having this conversation nobody would know who Stormzy was there wouldn't probably be a central c like that's how serious of a thing pirate radio is and has been Pirate Radio was like our TikTok, Instagram, <laughs> YouTube. Yeah, everything. The whole thing. Because yeah. for those who don't know, Pirate Radio was originally like, was actually, it was called Pirate Radio because people broadcasted from boats off of mainstream Britain because you could get around the licensing laws. Fast forward to the 90s. Yeah. And Pirate Radio is now broadcasters who don't have a license, not on boats, but in tower blocks in East London and all around London and broadcast into a very small radius so pirate radio was the place where we could be heard we could do and say whatever we want play the music we want make the music we want play that on our shows it was like a diy setup to get your music heard everything about grime was was diy yeah yeah music often reflects what's going on in the world culturally economically, what's going on in our society. How do you think, you know, what life was looking like in London, in the UK, in the early 2000s, 
then reflected into grime music. A lot of rebellion was in there. Young people feeling like they were being pushed down a bit, silenced, not being heard. Um, especially if you were from certain demographics, certain parts of the country, inner cities. So I think the sound of the music reflected that. Like it was harsh, it was a bit dark. And then the lyrics on top of it were reflecting real life where we were from. And some of that could be dark. Like it wasn't all dark. There was songs about being at a pool party in Ayanapa or could be like a, a girl's tune talking about a romantic situation or whatever. Or real life situations from the council estate and some of that would be dark and to some people hearing that was a bit like oh hang on a minute we don't mind listening to nwa and 50 cent and it's over there but feels far away yeah this is here like these are talking about hackney and bow and i live in hackney and bow it makes people like open their eyes a little bit yeah um and so you obviously get that initial like fight back of almost like you're scary or something yeah um and now I'm older, I can understand where people were coming from. Like there's a bunch of kids in hoodies and the, their ignorance is what was causing it. They didn't know us, they, they just stereotype is, yeah. this is a scary situation. They're talking about scary things. So grime initially was quite hard to break through. You had the form 696, which the police brought in to pretty much just be able to close down black music events. So you had all of this to navigate. And so Pirate Radio, again, going back to Pirate Radio, that was the one safe haven where we could be heard. When Grimes started to outgrow Pirate Radio and the kind of underground scene, what was the reaction? For example, things like nightclubs banning the track PAL. How did that feel? That was kind of when you felt okay, okay, wow, people have got a problem with this. And no one, no one's going to really admit it, but they just didn't understand and were afraid and just thought that lots of young black people in a, a place could be a problem. And sometimes it could be a problem, but in the same way, sometimes at a heavy death metal concert, there could be all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah, when a lot of people come together, at a football things match, happen. There could be a lot of yeah. things going on. So when it's being picked out and it's all the black events are getting shut down, then you're seeing the reasonings why things are getting shut down. And then for events to even happen, you're making the obstacles so big that you're putting half of the promoters off. You're threatening clubs who are losing their license. Yep. So then you don't really have to enforce it because you've kind of set the tone that I'm not going to bother trying to put that on. It's going to be hassle. A nightclub's already scared. I remember going into clubs and being in the DJ booth, DJing and seeing with my own eyes, because it's like an urban myth. Mm. I saw it with my own eyes. I've been in the booth and with a thing on the poster in the thing, no leaf will be, do not play pow. And, and what's <laughs> the consequence? They're gonna shut off your set? You, did, you didn't think, get no, so I think I close might to really, finding I out. Probably, I probably did do it. Yeah. Pro like people probably came running over panicking, but by then it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not too late, like, oh my God, the, the hell was broke loose. Yeah. Like, people are going to just jump up and down and it's going to look a bit exciting for three minutes. Like, calm down, guys. Not, they hadn't seen this before. Everything about it was new. How it sounded was new. The kids that were coming to hear it, they didn't hadn't, hadn't seen these kids at these clubs before. Okay. And it was all a bit scary for them. So it's Un almost like... necessarily, but that's, I'm sure that it was, it was based on like a fear of something that wasn't actually there. And grime and black music especially wasn't, it wasn't happening more at those events. That didn't make any sense. It was definitely just based on let's just 
shut this all down. It doesn't look or sound like something we want. Yeah. Um, here we are. Problem. It didn't yeah. work. <laughs> People push through. And bringing that to today, do we still see that at all now? I know it would be on a different scale. We see it. It's not in the same way, but drill music has been through a similar judgment yeah. as Grime did. Probably, maybe even worse because we unfortunately do have far higher knife crime within the young community. A lot of that young community are from places where it's just, it's really tough. Mm. And the artists from those areas that make the music, again, reflect where they're from. Central Sea makes drill music, but it's not dark and evil. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not the genre of music. It's not fair to paint a brush across a whole genre of music or to say a whole demographic of young people are bad because they listen to or they they make a certain type of music. I've been into House of Parliament to debate with MPs over it and I've done all that stuff to give people context of what they're talking about yeah. because they're very, they don't have much knowledge of what the music is about, why it sounds like that, when it sounds like that. And yeah, we, yeah, we definitely still see a similar, yeah, similar kind of thing with drill. And how does that change going forward? Is it things like you kind of speaking to decision makers? Is it more awareness around it? Even within drill music, I'm not like the drill ambassador or anything, but I can see and I hear and I play a lot of music and you can see that there is a shift wanted mm. happening, like people are growing as artists. We're seeing that and I think we'll see more of that, the growth and hopefully the social situations that is what really causes people to have to talk about what they have to talk about, these yeah. situations, hopefully they get addressed. Because yeah. it's all very well, everyone talking about what we do in the music, to court to save the world. It's like, it doesn't actually work like that. I met with a rapper and producer, Neeks. He's from North London, and we talked about how strong and influential Grime has been on his journey. I was having this discussion recently about like me kind of growing up listening to Grime instead of like US music, like growing up listening to kind of like UK, UK music, grime as well. And it was just easier for me to kind of digest because it's like, I can understand what you're talking about. When you're talking about that road, okay, I've been there. When you're talking about RK, I've, I could go there if I need to, do you know what I'm saying? Like literally, no matter what UK music you do, there's always going to be some influence or reference to grime in there. Like no matter how you want to kind of flip it, it's always going to be that because I think grime is more than just like the genre. It's, it's very much like a culture, it's very much how you might approach the beat, the, the underlying aggression you might have. Um, even if there's no aggression, it might just be like, in terms of how you're dressing and stuff like that, it's, it's, it's far more than far more than just the music. So I think it will always grow, even if like, let's say the mobiles or whatever award show just kind of stops looking that direction. I feel like it will always still grow because it's very much like a sound of of people, of like the UK people. Are to... Similar to what you're saying, it's bigger than just the music, isn't it? And I think, especially now, if you talk to the younger generation, they may even overlook the fact that grime music was an influence because so many different sounds of rappers and tempos and, and a lot of it gets just labelled as grime yeah. music for those who don't really understand the sonics of it but I think if you ask the younger rappers and artists coming up they may think that they're not influenced by grime they may think that they, they're influenced by D-Block Europe or or Dave will yeah. influence me or but again like Went you, back. you go <laughs> yeah you chase it back so um yeah, it's interesting that he, he said that. He had a lot of good points in there. Obviously, in the show, it's a reflection of you and your mates and a group of five young guys. And grime has felt like a male-dominated genre for a while. Where do you think like female artists like, have a space within grime? Grime has, has and still feels like a very 
male predominant scene. Um, I don't know if that's due to the sonics of it, because like I said, it's quite dark and it's quite like abrasive and yeah. like it's very like testosterone-y a little bit, like especially in that essence of grime. And not that there aren't loads of female grime fans and some amazing female grime MCs. Yeah. Um, but I feel like we could definitely see more. And in the wider music industry, I think women are really like staking their flag in the ground and saying, listen, we're not having this. I'm a big supporter of representation and the more the better. I love the fact that we're seeing more festivals that are trying to even out lineups and yeah. radio playlists that are doing the same and why shouldn't we be doing all of that stuff? It's 2023. It's almost 2024. It's 2024 actually, <laughs> what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> almost, we're almost there. Obviously for young people now, times can be rough things can be challenging but I loved like the joy and just the colour that you put into Grime Kids how do you think that young people can harness some of that just like that energy being with your mates and then pursuing something that you love and like almost just having a dream I think just DIY like today's DIY is different from the, back then's DIY but there's still a DIY ethic to how people be like look at YouTubers look mm. at TikTokers the thing to definitely take from the grime days was we didn't have the resources, but we had the DIY passion and like a dream, I suppose. And if you if you have those and you can put those into play yeah. with hard work, in 2023, four, <laughs> I think a lot is possible. So having that really good chat with Target, with Mark, and Nick's as well, my perspective and appreciation for grime has definitely broadened. It's more than just a sound, it is a whole culture and just talking to some of those key players is so important. I know that music often reflects what people are going through. So of course, the sounds of grime in the early 2000s are gonna be very different to today. And it's cool that it's gonna continuously evolve. Some of the advice that I really loved from Target was that if you can DIY it, you can create your own kind of platforms and opportunities to talk about your life, your aspirations, and have that optimism to find success with it as well. And I think shows like Grime Kids are amazing because they open up a world that even if you weren't in East London in the early 2000s, you can have a proper understanding of how this all started and the joy that came with it as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And as always, I love when you get involved and I love hearing what you have to say about what we've talked about. The WhatsApp number is the best place to get in contact with me. I've left it in the show notes. And just to let you know, we are fast approaching the end of the first season of Noted. So next week's will be the last episode of 2023. So if you haven't already, make sure you hit follow and you'll be the first to know when it is out. This is a podcast by the News Movement, produced by Persephonica.